Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Watt Carbon Podcast. I'm Nikki Young, along with Kelly Littleton. Uh, it's the beginning of March. Uh, we're joined today in episode five of our podcast with Adam Weber, who's the director of Offsite Solutions for Pivot Energy. The first, Kelly, uh, guinea pig uh, outside of our own team members who we coerced into doing the first four, uh, four episodes of our podcast with us while we learned how to do this. We're probably still not very good, but hopefully we're not terrible, Adam. So it's it's great to have you on on the podcast today, uh, Kelly. You know we like to start off with you know what's new and interesting in the world that you've been noticing this week. Um, I forgot to ask you if you had anything. Is there anything that that um, jumped jumps to mind as something you've been tracking this week that you that you wanted to call out? Sure. Yeah, and I don't know if this is that newsy. It seems like a kind of old soggy problem or issue in the world of energy right now, but um, I've been reading up on just the difficulty of energy infrastructure and transmission lines and trying to read up a, a, like what's going on there. What's the bottleneck? What are the stakeholders? And um, the more I read, the more kind of I realize that there's so much depth to it. And there's this one quote that um, it's from, you know, NBC that there's over a thousand gigawatts worth of potential clean energy projects that are waiting for approval. And one of the biggest bottlenecks is that lack of transmission um, line infrastructure and the agreement upon who's paying for what and who's benefiting. And it's just this huge, huge knot of issues. But anyway, I went down a, a little bit of a rabbit hole with transmission lines this week. Um, but I think it came to a head for me with, you know, the way the, the few examples that have been really successful are, People that in, um, have are on the team are value aligned, and they know that the clean energy, the transition means um, is good for business. So anyway, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole with that, and um, I'm still digging my way out. <laughs> yeah, when I lived in, in Milwaukee, we're uh, adjacent to Lake Michigan, which is home, the Great Lakes. I think are home to something like 25 percent of the world's fresh water. So um, similar, um, you know conversations were had around Lake Michigan drinking water. And um, mm -hmm. there's, some, there's something called the Great Lakes Compact, which means that you're not allowed to actually take water out of the Great Lakes Basin uh, to serve communities that are not within that geographical, there's sort of like a physical, um, you know, actual literal basin uh, that rings the Great Lakes. So in Milwaukee, for example, you have, you know, really cheap uh, drinking water from from Lake Michigan. It's really clean if, as long as you stick the pipe out long enough into the lake. Um, and But, you know, maybe 15 or 20 miles to the west of Milwaukee, uh, they're still drinking their water out of wells that mm -hmm. are, you know, full of radium and other chemicals because uh, it's contaminated groundwater. And they're not allowed to access um, the Lake Michigan drinking water, not to mention communities, you know, in farther, farther away parts of the country that um, are also facing massive water shortages. And it's some ways it's a trans the same issue It's transmission and distribution, right? Like how do you, and do we even want to do that? Um, you know, another argument is to say we should make people go, you know, live in places where there's windmills and or live in places where there's uh, a available solar. I don't know if that's the right answer uh, because people said the same thing about Milwaukee, and and I don't know if I'd wish that on anybody to have to go live, you know, in, in the in the cold, frigid air of of Milwaukee uh, on a on a year if if they didn't have to. But um, but that's an it's 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 a super fascinating um, question. I think climate change is also sparking a lot of this too. Like we you know we're we're 
increasingly a mobile society and um, we can choose to live kind of anywhere, but oftentimes where people choose to live is a little bit of a head scratcher in terms of the resource availability, like Miami, uh, for example. Although, you know, the thing that I was tracking this week was um, also kind of like this crazy, you know, these weather patterns that, um, you know, it's been cold and snowy and rainy here in, in the West Coast. Uh, but I was, I read the story that Greenland uh, is, is starting to live up to its namesake. Uh, and the capital of Greenland, which is Nuuk, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, N-U-U-K, uh, on Sunday it was almost 60, it was 59.4 degrees as a high temperature, the capital oh, of Greenland, in, Mar in the beginning of March, <laughs> which is warmer than it was here in the Bay Area. Uh, and <laughs> You said that with such a positive connotation that Greenland was starting to live up to its name, but I'm realizing it's... It's what we need, right? And uh, this, so this question of like, where do you build clean energy and how do you get clean energy to different places actually is a little bit of a moving target too. So we think we need to get lots of resources down to, you know, maybe the, the desert Southwest, for example, but is that billions of dollars of investment only going to be useful for the next 10 or 15 years until it's no longer habitable or someplace like Salt Lake City, where they're thinking the drying up of the lake is going to create toxic dust. And that city will be uninhabitable within maybe five or 10 years. So there's, you know, these questions of like, you know, building the infrastructure to places that may or may not actually be around that long to, uh, to benefit from it. On that positive uplifting note, if only there were solutions, uh, we're, we're excited to welcome Adam Weber. Uh, Adam, thank you for coming on to our podcast, and thank you for, um, you know, being one of the, the the trailblazers. You're you're the the right the Neil Armstrong of the Watt Carbon Pot. It's one small step for, for Adam, one large step for for Watt Carbon. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Uh, where do you where are you based today, Adam? I am based in uh, Pivot Energy's headquarters in Denver, Colorado. Excellent. And as befits our conversation, what's the weather like in Denver today? Um, it's actually pretty pretty tolerable. I won't say that it's 60 degrees outside, um, although it can get to be that high um, at this time of year. Lately, it's been you know probably 40s and a little more overcast than we're used to. You know, the, there's some truth to the fact that we get like 300 days of sunshine here. So, um, but we welcome any kind of precipitation we can get when we get it. So it's not bad. Excellent. So you're the director of offsite solutions. And uh, that feels like that's got to be a pretty big um, response. Is there any, is there, are there onsite solutions? So how does that, you know, what does that mean exactly in terms of like pivot energy? Who's, is there, is there a, a director of onsite solutions and a director of offsite solutions? And what is an offsite solution? There's not a director of onsite solutions per se, um, but where the title probably, um, the meaning of it kind of can come through is that Pivot Energy has been around since like 2009. And during most of that time, they've um, really developed quite a specialty for behind the meter on-site um, distributed solutions. Um, and then subsequent to that, a lot of community solar were pretty much active everywhere with community solar. Um, and when I joined the team, which was last May, coming up, I guess, close to a year now, um, that was one of the first big moves that the organization made to um, now move even further along the spectrum and get even more off-site, so to speak. 
So um, now we're starting to look at, you know, some some bigger, still distributed scale projects some some utility scale stuff. So that's kind of where the offsite comes in as far as pivot goes. All right. So so I've got a question that's been bothering me for a long time. I hear this term community solar. I also hear the term solar garden. And is, is solar garden like just another name for community solar? Is there something specific? Like I, I hear it a lot in the Midwest. Like where, you know, when I used to live in Milwaukee, we would talk about solar gardens a lot. In Minnesota, they have the same thing. Is that a technical term or is it a term of just kind of the industry jargon? Like what, what is a community solar uh, project? Yeah, I I um, think that to some degree they're they're pretty interchangeable. Community solar and solar gardens, um, and then the other one that you'll hear come up is shared solar too. Um, so yeah, I think that for the most part they're they're fairly similar. A lot of them will use the subscription model where you'll get community members um, and businesses, um, you know, taking slices of the projects um, in order to get clean energy that's typically more affordable than what they're used to paying, you know, through their utility or whatnot. Um, and the project sizes um, generally are, I guess, sort of in the middle, you know, between the the kilowatts that oftentimes behind the meter stuff is measured in and, and you know, hundreds of megawatts at the utility scale. So they'll often be like, um, they'll often be, you know, call it five to 10, maybe a little more megawatts. Um, and yeah, the one other term that, that uh, gets thrown around there too is, um, is um, solar farms. So it, it goes by a lot of different names. This is, this is the idea of making it more, um, humane or something is you know like it like we want the, the the agricultural references here are like really interesting to me that we that we kind of characterize it that way as opposed to like a a factory or um you know some other like non like kind of organic uh descriptor of of these um of these installations it does um, feel more accessible that nomenclature that Oh, okay. I know what a garden is. I know what a farm is. I have a visualization in my brain and I can make that connection with very little effort. Yeah. <laughs> Great. It's Harvesting like a sunlight. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's a branding win, I think, for like clean energy. Like we fail so often, like heat pumps, like, uh, you know, like yeah. what a terrible name. Uh, but a solar garden sounds great. <laughs> like sign me up, you know. Uh, what What's in a nutshell? So when you have to explain this to what you do to your neighbors or, you know, you're at a cocktail party and they're like, oh, what do you do? And you are like trying your best to not be that guy who's like, oh, let me tell you all about, you know, solar level, you know, like what's the interesting way in which you describe your your work? Like what's the kind of like, oh, that's really cool uh, way of describing community solar offsite solutions? Yeah, I feel like... Um... You know, maybe taking a step back from the community solar and offsite stuff per se, um, a lot of the times when I talk to folks that aren't necessarily well versed in like energy and stuff is that, you know, power is something um, that that uh, for an advanced civilization is as indispensable as air and, and water and, and food. And so it really kind of forms a common denominator for for people around the globe um, and where that energy comes from is has has uh, you know inestimable importance in the in the grand scheme of things, and so for me, um, being able to kind of go under the hood of what is a really complex system and, and kind of you know rewire things so that um, those impacts are more positive than negative. I mean, at the most basic level, that's how I like to 
express, you know, what I do, what, what we do. Um, and then in offsite terms, um, it really does boil down to the fact that, you know, that power is generated by a, a vast spectrum these days of, of different project sizes from the couple kilowatts that you might have on your roof to, again, you know, some of these solar projects could be half a gigawatt or wind, wind farms can be even bigger than that. Um, and so the offsite really boils down to projects that are, you know, pretty sizable enough to um, power the homes of um, hundreds, if not thousands of, of households. Do you know how solar panels work? <laughs> um, I do it at a not engineering kind of lay perspective. Um, so, yeah, I can say, I mean, are you looking for an explanation or is that just like, do I know? Like, like I don't know if I if I had to go explain to somebody like what exactly happens when the sunlight hits the solar panel and somehow magically turns it into electricity, I feel like I would it's kind of like how do TVs work? Like you kind of know, right? The signal goes in and like stuff happens, you know, and it turns it into like, you know, pixels on your, on your screen. I feel like solar panels is kind of like that same level of magic that like the sun hits it, stuff happens. And then like electricity flows. <laughs> What's the best way to describe to somebody how a solar panel works? Yeah. The materials in it, um, in the solar cells themselves, so like, you know, if somebody were to go out and like look at a panel, you know, it's usually arranged in the grid and each one of those, each one of those little cells um, has some um, silicon and, and it's the way that the silicon interacts with the sunlight that it produces electricity um, and then it gets fed. That power is generated in current, which is like what cars, cars use some other applications, but the power that we use in our buildings is an alternating current. And so a key part of the, the process of like, you know, how you go from sunlight to, to light bulbs um, is converting it from direct current to alternating current. So a key piece of like a solar project will be the inverters, which do just that. And then it's kind of been groomed, so to speak, to then be sent into the power grid and, and off to the load that it's meant to serve. We're going to have to get you back and talk about the difference between direct current and alternating current. <laughs> I feel like we're about to go down a rabbit hole that we may never escape from. Um, Kelly, what do you what's what do you think is interesting about what these guys do when you when you hear community solar and pivot energy? Like what what's what's sort of like interesting from your point of view? I'm pretty curious about. Um, I, mean, I think it like makes a lot of sense to me that decentralized power generation allows for flexibility and greater resiliency, but also really interested in the impacts beyond kind of that direct exchange. So what happens in these communities that you're working in? Um, who are the people you're partnering with? And what is that? Is there outreach and education around that? And I'm kind of uh, fascinated with the, I guess, the multifaceted impacts of where these projects are and the people they, they reach in those communities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a great question. And I think it's maybe the best um, intersection between like who pivots as a business certified B Corporation and the kind of unique benefits that you often get from these community scale um, projects that operate with a subscription model. So um, a real one really good example of that is that typically when you have like um, any given solar garden, solar um, farm, 
community solar farm, um, you'll have like an array of different um, individuals and entities that are taking, you know, bite-sized pieces of subscriptions off of them. Um, and usually you'll have like an anchor subscriber, which will be, you know, a, a business oftentimes with pretty good um, credit. And then a lot of the rest of, say that's 40 to 50% of it. And then the rest of it is oftentimes, you know, a lot of smaller businesses, but then also households themselves too. So residential rate payers. And within that slice, a lot of them can be lower to middle income, um, income qualified subscribers. Um, and so community solar kind of enables um, more equitable access to clean electricity. Um, and the way that most, if not all of the community solar programs in the US are set up, um, there's almost always like an opportunity for some savings versus the baseline of just, you know, buying your power from your utility. And so being able to alleviate some of the energy burden that a lot of these households um, you know, are faced with just with um, some some um, some lower utility bills. I think that's a key part of it. Um, that sort of founds the found that's sort of at the foundation of it. But then um, we try to go beyond that as well. Um, like Kelly, you mentioned, um, you know, uh, outreach and education. So being able to provide things like scholarships and tours of the facilities that we create, um, workforce development. Um, those are all initiatives that we've attached to our projects in the past. And we're actively looking to ramp up as we continue to expand our footprint. That's great. Thanks, Adam. I, I just had a visualization of my first field trip as a, you know, in, in middle school and I went to like a sugar mill or something and getting to go look under the hood at a, a solar farm or yeah, that would be incredibly influential. So I'm glad that you guys are doing that work. Um, what what does it mean to be a certified B Corp? And why is that important? Yeah, so um, you know, a lot of um, corporations, a lot of private businesses, they're sort of operating with a profit mentality or profit first mentality. And what um, the B Corp Corporation um, certification kind of signifies is that um, it's it's for companies that are trying to operate as a business, but that think beyond just just um, profits alone. So um, the triple bottom line, which I know is maybe not um, how things are couched as often these days, but I still find that it's kind of useful. So profits being one of the three, but then also people and the planet and incorporating sort of the ESG, environmental and social governance um, framework um, is a big part of it. And it provides sort of the third party independent oversight um, to companies that want to express that they're being good corporate citizens. Um, there's there's a lot of, you know, requirements in order to have that that B Corporation stamp attached to your name. Great. No, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, looking forward, how do you think that manifests in, in terms of your mission for your work for the next year? How do you, there's one thing to, okay, signal to the world, right? There's a signal, there's an expression of it, but then there's the manifestation of it, right? Um, do you have an idea of how that will those core values will manifest in the next year or two of work for Pivot? Yeah, I can um, maybe frame that two ways, one qualitative and one quantitative. The qualitative side of things, um, somewhat recently around the time I joined, we brought on um, a vice president of um, policy and impact. Um, her name's Annie LePay. And currently she is um, really leading the charge within our organization to evaluate all of our business practices um, from from all the different you know teams that we have within the organization and the interface that we have with you know the communities that we operate in and the, and the lands upon which our our projects sit to basically come up with an inventory of the good things that we do and the things that could be improved 
to create a template for, you know, towards the end of this year, but certainly well beyond that of these are the, you know, 50 different actions we can and should be taking to, to expand upon our impacts. That's the qualitative side of things. And then, you know, one quantitative thing I can mention is that we have um, plans. We have a goal to um, commit um, around a million dollars um, in investments in, in um, you know, uh, charitable contributions to the communities in which we're, we're actively developing projects. So um, that, that's a bit of what we're doing, but um, it's it's pretty exciting, you know, aspect of, of their overall organization. This sounds, this sounds like a, uh, your job sounds complicated. And I'm wondering like somebody who's in college now who goes, I want Adam's job someday. Like, what is that career trajectory? How do you learn about all this stuff to be able to get to the position where you become, you start to do the work that you're doing? Did you know that this was where you're headed? Like back, back in the day, like what did your own, how did, how, what would you say to, to little Adam? You know, mm -hmm. back then uh, about, you know, that career trajectory and how, how did that, you know, come about? Yeah. So um, when I went to undergrad, I studied psychology and had no idea that I was going to one day end up in, in solar power. And you could maybe draw some kind of a tenuous link between the two, but it would be maybe not the most convincing. So I definitely had no idea I would end up here. Um, and it was a, it was a pretty circuitous route that I took. So, you know, as, if I thought about um, college students now that are sort of, you know, want to kick the tires on sustainability or renewable energy. Um, I, I would say that unless you really want to dive into like a technical, a truly technical aspect of say engineering or software development or things that with a really pretty clearly defined set of skills, um, you can kind of go about it in a, in a little bit more of an open-minded way um, because there's just so many facets to, to this overall industry um, and they're changing all the time. So, um, you know, the jobs that existed um, in the renewable energy space when I was in school, a lot of them are different than the ones that exist now. And, and I anticipate that they'll be way different from the ones that are going to be, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. So I think, you know, just trying to maintain that sort of open mindedness is probably one of the biggest keys. And then have as many conversations as you can with people that are involved in different aspects of it. Like what you guys, Kelly and McGee, are doing is like pretty different from, you know, what Casey and I do day to day. And it's way different from somebody that's working for, you know, one of the grid operators or for um, you know, clean energy buyers alliance or things like that. So the more conversations you have, I think the better. What's the coolest thing you've ever done in your life? <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's crazy because this is something that I did like almost 10 years ago now, which doesn't seems like it's yesterday, but um, I lived abroad for a little bit um, with my now wife, Lee, um, in Dubai. And when we got to the point where we wanted to repatriate and come home, we it was the time in our life when we didn't have, you know, the, the typical the typical, um, you know, things that go along with being an adult. So we just decided to like go backpacking through the Asia Pacific and we went to 10 different countries. Um, and, you know, the further it recedes in the rearview mirror for me, the, the more I'm really grateful that we kind of, you know, did that on a shoestring budget and, and took that, took that chance when we had it. As a follow up to that, what's the craziest thing you've ever done as a team activity with within Pivot? Do you have any like quirky oh, like bonding activities? I know we at Walk Carbon. 
<laughs> yeah, that's that's a good one. I don't know about like quirky per se. I'd have to think about it. But one I, one thing that I can say that is really cool um, in terms of like team spirit and stuff is that Pivot um, does quarterly retreats. Um, so like once a season, you know, a lot of us are here in the Denver headquarters and, and are, you know, in Colorado in general, but increasingly, like we've got people all over the country. And so we'll bring everybody in, um, and then, you know, meet for, for two days or so. And, and some of it's business, but a lot of it's just like, you know, shoot, shooting the breeze and hanging out and doing dinners and stuff. So I find that that's invaluable because, you know, there's, there's, you can, surprisingly get a lot done you know virtually in the world that we work in but there's always going to be something that's that's missing until you get to hang out with somebody you know face to face so that, that's a cool part of it that's fantastic Do you, when a lot of times you know as we've been doing these podcasts you've you know you've been listening to the episodes you hear us talking about our parents and um you know it's been interesting to kind of hear how different you know different influences you know can be traced all the way back to you know, being a little kid and having your parents do something that kind of later on turned out to be influential in a way that you probably never quite anticipated. Uh, what do you think you got from your parents? Did you is is your interest in environmental stuff or energy, you know, come from them, or or is there something else that you feel like you've been now that you're a little older and you kind of look back, like what's been passed down from your parents to your current self? Yeah. Um, so my parents were never directly involved in their careers in like environmentalism or um, energy specifically. My dad was a music teacher, he's retired now, and my mom was an English as a second language teacher. Um, also, she's also retired. But they did definitely leave an impression on me that I do think has shaped, you know, my career choices. Um, and specifically, like they they had me, you know, in scouting and stuff to go camping. So I was like in nature pretty often um, as a kid. Um, and then another thing that I'll, I, I always think back on is that um, we used to go around collecting like all of the aluminum cans in my neighborhood and my grandparents' neighborhood. And then we would take them to a place that would, you know, recycle them and, and get the, the revenue for it. And then whatever we would make, we would donate to an orphanage. Um, and we do that like we did that all throughout my childhood. My sister and I, um, who were both adopted, so that was a big part of it. Um, but, you know, that in a sense, that was sort of like upcycling. I mean, I know the physical aluminum, maybe not, but like, you know, taking taking what you get from that and, and contributing to your communities, I, I think that that had a big impact and just the wriggling mentality that came through, too. Yeah, that's 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 really cool. Um, all right, light, lightning round uh, here. Uh, we got a, a couple more minutes left. Uh, put you on the spot. Uh, if you could, if you could uh, pass any sort of federal policy, like today, what would you? What would if you just God for a day? I, I'm in charge of the whole government, Supreme Court notwithstanding. What would you? What, what one thing would you say you want more than anything else? <laughs> Um, actually, I think this goes back to Kelly's um, point earlier about like what's in the news and stuff. I, I'm sure that there would be negative externalities to it, but granting eminent domain for developing more transmission is probably one of the biggest things that we could do to like translate all of the all that bottled up you know capacity that wants to come online to to actual megawatt hours and recs and stuff. That would be a big one. I love it. If you could hire anybody from throughout human history to come work on your team, 
who would you want who would you want working with you uh, probably nikola tesla <laughs> i mean that's just the first name to come to mind i'm sure there's like hundreds but i just happened to see like that movie a couple weeks ago and he is one of those kind of conventional genius types that would happen to be involved in electricity and building the system that we have now so i'm sure he would have interesting things to say and contribute to pivot awesome and then why should somebody come work at pivot what's the best thing about working there oh i mean i think it would have to be a combination of the people and the impact honestly which are really kind of two sides of the same coin i think that a lot of people ended up at this organization because of because of you know the impacts that we try to achieve and um sort of has this effect where those people are also kind of you know cool and fun to hang out with <laughs> Excellent. Well, Adam, it's it's great to get to know you a little bit. Um, we've been, we've really enjoyed. You know, Pivot's been one of the kind of early um, early adopters of our crazy little idea, Walk Carbon, that um, we ought to start taking seriously the um, potential for uh, renewable energy, not just to in and of itself, but the environmental impacts that it can have. Um, and I think what you guys are adding to that in terms of some of the social impacts, you know, being thoughtful about where you're citing it. The downstream implications that it has for the affordability of clean energy for our communities, um, and I think you know, like as I look at it, it's you know, part of this whole undertaking is really about creating communities and and it's and, and around our energy, around sustainability, right? So it's not just sort of this like isolated like, oh, I've done my part or I've done a thing that like only I can see or only I'm a part of, but community solar community-based energy is really about interacting with other people. And it's a, it's a collective endeavor to improve our future. My, you know, my feeling on this is that the more of that kind of thing that we can do, the more that we can make this less about me and more about we, the stronger and more enduring the work um, will be that we, that we do. So I appreciate all of, all of what you guys do. It's been great to be able to work with you so far. And again, thank you so much for, volunteering to come on our podcast when we barely know what we're doing here. And if there's the technical glitch or two in the final recording, I think we got the, the gist of what you were saying for the most part. And it was really great to hear um, about your life story a little bit. So thank you so much. Uh, Kelly and I will be back um, in two weeks, probably, maybe with another team interview. Maybe we'll get somebody else from the outside. What's going well so far, Kelly? I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I feel great about this. I think this might be the best one yet. No offense to the team, but I feel good about this. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Adam. And uh, we'll, 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 see, we'll see you soon. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, Thanks, thank everyone. you both. It's been really fun. Take care.